Welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast, a top-rated weekly podcast providing support for the struggles, celebrating the successes, and sharing the personal and professional development stories of women of color. It's inspiring and insightful conversations with sheroes who want to share their experiences to help other women's outcomes. Hosted by me, media veteran and content creator, Lonnie Swain. The purpose of this show is to remind you that everyone has to go through something to get somewhere. Thank you so much for listening. I love and appreciate your feedback, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share. Now let's get into the show. Today we have this wonderful, bubbly personality event producer coming to the show. I had the pleasure of meeting her up close, live in living color, and her energy is absolutely contagious. Denasia Reese is an event strategist, producer, and writer whose love of culture has fueled her diverse career journey from her time at the helm of a San Francisco marketing agency where she increased sales by 50% each year and worked with companies like Uber, San Francisco Giants, and Live Nation to working on experiential campaigns for Airbnb, content at Coachella, and more as a consultant. Her full-service event production company, Girl With That Laugh Productions, has worked on events including A3C Festival and Conference and Black Tech Week. GWTLP has managed 600000 in sponsorship revenue and generated 50000 in ticket sales. She remains guided by the principles of inspiration, connection, productivity, community, and self-expression, applying the concepts as the ethos of GWTLP's work. Denasia, welcome to the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Thank you. Oh, Lonnie, I'm so excited to be talking to you today. I really, really am. I'm in a place right now where I'm really ready to to tell the story. So this is going to be fully unfiltered. (laughs) Yes, that's exactly how I want it. So you are the first, I think, event strategist, producer, and writer that I've met. And I've attended a lot of events. I've attended conferences. We actually met at the Supercharged Conference here in Los Angeles. And I think it's really interesting how events come together and more specifically how someone gets into this field. So can you tell us a bit about what you thought you were going to be doing professionally, like what you thought you were going to be when you grew up and how you got to where you are today? Ooh. Um, okay. Yeah. That's, let's see what I thought I was going to do. So I actually have a degree in fashion marketing and management. Okay. I went to the Art Institute of California in the Civic Center in San Francisco. I went there at 19. Um, I went there because I was told, I think we have a generation of people, myself included, who has a message of go to college, go to college, go to college, drilled into mm-hmm. your head. And, you know, my background is quite different from what you would think a college graduate, at least at that point, was going to look like. My parents were very much kind of in the streets before I was born and for a bit after. Um, mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. not necessarily a clear pathway to college. but mm-hmm. and, and also the idea of that, even at that age, was not resonating with me. Uh, like the idea of like, I just have to go to college or my life just isn't going to be anything. I just rejected that. I'm very rebellious. I'm Aquarius. Mm-hmm. Okay. The kind of conventional ideas of things all the time. Uh-huh. Um, and I just I wasn't really into it. But I knew that if I had to do this, because my mother looked me in my face and said, yes, you do, um, <laughs> I... I uh, 
that I was going to go to a school where I was passionate about something and where I could get into something creative. And I found yeah. the Art Institute because it was a technical art school. So this idea of I could learn about fashion and I could be creative and I could be in living in San Francisco, right? And I'm, I'm from Los Angeles. I'm born and raised here. So, you know, it wasn't that far away from my family, but it was also this whole other crazy world where I could be independent. There aren't a lot of places in California where you don't need a car. I hate driving. Um, mm-hmm. And so it just, it made a lot of sense. And then also my mom actually passed away when I was 18, right after oh. I graduated high school. And so I became this sort of almost uh, thing I had to do for her, right? So mm. after that, after she passed away about six, nine months later, I ended up at the Art Institute of Studying Fashion Marketing and Management. However, when I graduated, one, you know, with fashion, you have a few options. You And especially as an American, you can move to New York and like grind it out. One of my dear friends, Gina, she has been doing that for the last years. Is really just trying to make her place in the fashion industry and in the world the part of it she wants to be in. Mm-hmm. It's a very noble fight, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> or, you know, or you can go to Europe um, and kind of fight it out there, which is a whole other ballgame. And the key word there is kind of fighting it out. And the fashion industry is not inclusive. You know, it's just now remotely starting to be, but there's yeah. these levels of problematicness woven into that. Like, you know, it's a very two steps forward, one step back situation. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. things are changing. And so looking at that landscape, it's 2013, you know, when I'm graduating college. And I was working at a company at the time. I was mostly interning for it. At Towards the end of school, I was full time. Um, I graduated in three, about three years in a few months, which is abnormal. Normally it's a four-year program, but I, I was mm-hmm. getting out of there. And so I was graduating okay. in 2013. Mm-hmm. And I was Congratulations on that. Thank you. Thank you. No, trust me. If you knew more about the school, you know I had to get out of there. But I was, <laughs> you know, I was living in San Francisco. There were a few things happening for me. One, I was interning at this company. It was a marketing and promotions company called YBR Promotions. And we uh, did a lot of flyer and poster distro, a lot of street marketing. And I was really involved in that world and culture. We worked with Live Nation and Golden Voice and all of the clubs in the city. So if there was any kind of music event happening, not only I know about it, I was probably there. And so yeah. I was really, really tapped, and I knew the people who were doing it. Like, I was just super, super tapped into that. And then also in tandem to that, it's 2013 in San Francisco. So I always joke about how tech was ubiquitous. You were in tech whether you wanted to be or not, and now right. every one of my friends from that time are actually in tech, especially if they stayed there. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just it made sense. And I just took, you know, I graduated school and I started working full-time with YBR and I took us from doing music and and marketing and and doing music promotion but really into experiential marketing into brand ambassadorship and really was building on what had already been there my mentor uh, one of my mentors my early mentor Brittany Tillman my dear friend who's like a sister to me she ran that company she still does it's her company and she was really the first person I saw that was a woman that had created a career for herself and didn't just have a job the woman in my family 18 years old you've already had a child maybe you've had two my great-grandmother had 10 you know by the time she was my age she had I think at least eight children and when I think about oh, that wow. I'm like whoa yeah. and so that was so not my life you know I was up at every party I was you know I was an it girl in a lot of ways and so you know just kind of seeing Brittany who had taken that same kind of lifestyle and really built a business kind of on it and just created it for herself and became a genius marketer at the same time I just looked at her and I was like I'm gonna figure out how to do my version of this 
And I think starting by learning from you is what I'm going to do. And so Mm -hmm. from that, I fell in love with event production because as I'm marketing all of these events, I'm watching them come together. You know, I always joke that my career really started when I was 18. I was hanging out with my friends one day and I turned to my friend Adam and I said, oh, you know, this, you know, we had just graduated college or graduated high school, excuse me. So we're all thinking at our future, right? Like, what is it going to be? What is the future, right? It's 2008. Mm -hmm. The whole world is so different. Uh huh. We haven't even had Obama yet. Like we were just like, what's the world gonna? Right. So I'm talking to my friend Adam. We're just we're all discussing our futures. Adam's going to Berkeley. I haven't actually been accepted to college. And I said to him, I really just want someone to pay me to, you know, organize things and talk to people and like look cute and and be at parties. Mm-hmm. And I think I said I also wanted to go shopping. And he's like, you know, <laughs> nobody. <laughs> he looked me in my face. You know, God bless him. And was like, nobody's ever gonna pay you to do this things and I was just kind of like oh and I, I didn't think I, I don't think I believed him entirely but I did not believe him either I just didn't really know and so yeah. graduating college and working with YBR I was kind of doing all those things I was you know going to all these events I was marketing I was talking to people I was being creative and organizing things and you know running this company we had 29 30 contractors working for us at any given time working with these huge huge companies in San Francisco is seven miles you know people talk everyone knows each other it's a very close community especially by industry and so I was fully submerged and I just fell in love with event production and so I took all of those things and moved them with me to Chicago and just started over I moved at the end of 2014 and just kind of rebuilt everything I spent all of 2015 struggling and just doing everything I could to learn I worked with an experiential marketing agency for about six months doing um, a program with Airbnb trying to get people in Chicago just to sign up for it and become hosts and and everyone kind of in the surrounding markets to understand what it really was and Mm -hmm. that was really interesting to me just this idea that you could reach people through brand experience and activation through events and really say this is what we're trying to give to you as a brand because Mm -hmm. you know the thing about marketing in 2019 and I think going into the future is that you can buy anything from anyone at any price. So yeah. the reason that people buy, support, listen to your podcast, you know, go to your events, whatever it is, usually is about you and how they feel connected to you and can identify with you. And hopefully, if you're doing it right, all of the people and systems and everything that you build around you. And I felt like experiential marketing, brand marketing, uh, event marketing was a way to do that with companies and kind of feed into wanting to be successful, wanting to grow a business, but do it in a way that felt right to me. And mm-hmm. and really working with brands that said, you know, you're consumers to us, but we also care about giving you an experience and an experience that matters to you. And so now that's what I do. And that's kind of the difference. Like I, there are a lot of amazing event producers out there. I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty damn good event producer, but I think where my strong suit, my real kind of zone of genius is event strategy and really making sure that everything from the food you're eating and the music to the performers to the speakers to the venue all of it it's fully conducive to an overall brand strategy that Mm -hmm. is about connecting deeper with your audience and your community 
and growing your business through that. And so now that's what I do. And I, I did not ever think I would be doing this. I think I thought I was going to be a stylist when I went to school. And somewhere mm. along the way, I think I might have thought a design might have worked out. I mean, I know how to do any job in fashion from a technical standpoint. So I just kind of figured mm-hmm. I would go somewhere in there. I didn't see events coming. But now I look back and I, I realize that it was always coming. And then where the producer part came in, I started uh, producing stuff, honestly, in 2015. I was just trying to figure things out. And my sister wanted to do a web series. Mm-hmm. And I thought, okay, I can write this with you. I've been writing my whole life. I started writing songs when I was like six. Like from the time I could say words, I was putting them together in songs, poems, speeches, essays. I think I was, I was doing zines in like fourth grade where I would like get my friends to illustrate stuff and I would write stuff and, and we would staple it together and like pass it out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> just kind of always doing those kind of creative things and production just kind of came naturally to me. It, you know, it's kind of like an event, but it's better in some ways when it comes to timing because you can do things over with an event. You do it once and if it doesn't work in that moment, it, you just move on and the moment shifts and, and you do something else with production if you don't get it right you can do it over and over again and mm-hmm. it, there's a behind the scenes to it there's like the thing we're seeing and then there's me over here like eating a donut and being on my phone you know yeah <laughs> uh-huh. right exactly and I think it's like, really great that you have been able to connect the dots of like realistically I've been doing this all my life when I was a child I was doing this when I was a child I was doing that or at this point I was doing these things and this is how it all comes together because I think that if more people did that they could be doing what it is that they innately love to do and have loved to do from all along just figuring out like what are the things you've been doing all of your life that you've naturally gravitated towards and putting it all together and figuring out like what that title is or even creating that title and it's interesting too that you say that you were telling Adam this is what I want to do and he's like nobody's ever going to pay you for that and potentially it was and and not even potentially I'm sure it was just that Adam at that time didn't know of anyone who was getting paid to do that and the world has changed and evolved so much and now we're aware of titles and jobs and opportunities that we can get paid to do that we were never aware of and it speaks to that but it also speaks to the fact that we can't let anyone tell us what we can and we can't get paid for absolutely absolutely and I'm so happy that you didn't listen to Adam or let that discourage you (laughs) and even though you said you didn't believe him but you did not believe him and you didn't really know so what was it that encouraged you to keep moving in that direction? Honestly, and this is this is where it gets deep and real and, and true to my heart. My mom passing away. Honestly, I was 18 years old and she when she had me. So 50% of her time on earth was creating me and developing me. And, and I am so much of everything that you would not think I would have been given mm-hmm. the sort of starting line. You know, my mm-hmm. parents, like I said, you know, very much kind of in the streets. My grandparents came here from Arkansas and Shreveport. My father's Jamaican. Mm-hmm. So came here, you know, 20, I think 20 years old or something, completely different background, completely different everything. I always say, you know, my relationship with him is like, he'll say the sky is red. I'll say it's blue. We scream at each other for 10 minutes and we don't talk for five years. Uh-huh. Like that's, uh, you know, so I was really raised by my mom, you know, television, music, culture, 
and my grandmother. And, you know, when she passed away, there was just this fire in me to say, I, one, want to honor your life by having the exact one that God planned for me and doing everything I can to get to what that is. Mm-hmm. And then also being determined to live on my own as well in terms of this kind of earthly space, like travel and, you know, all these things. My mom would always dream about moving to another city, you know, but she couldn't because she, uh, this is where the support system was at. We moved to North Hollywood from Inglewood and, and Orange County where more and Victorville and all those places where my family was different parts of my family live. Mm-hmm. And they thought, you know, we moved to Siberia. You know, you know we got to go see they call my mom Miss Ann. Oh, we got to go see Miss Ann in Tunisia. And, you know, it's a 20 minute freeway ride. I do it all the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. So the, it was just it's something we could never do. And so for me, getting to live in five different cities before I'm 30 years old, before I'm even really 27, was a part mm-hmm. of that. And so I think if my mom had lived, I probably would have listened to Adam and I probably would have chosen a much different life. But there was something about that and just having that keen, real life real sense of life is like this long you know yeah and Mm -hmm. you gotta be happy you gotta be free if you're blessed to be those things you owe it Mm -hmm. to everyone who unfortunately is not to do Mm -hmm. it I love that and it's interesting. It's always a interesting and beautiful thing how we can take unfortunate situations or circumstances and turn them into the catalyst for positive change and positive momentum. And and seeing you as a living example of that is inspiring in and of itself. I just had another conversation about, you know, the difference between people who have something unfortunate happen and see that as an obstacle that cannot be overcome or a sign to say, this is my stopping point or I can't go any further versus the people that say, oh, I have this obstacle, but I'm going to figure out how to go around it, go above it, go underneath it, but I'm going to keep pushing forward. And do you feel that you had any, um, I know you mentioned a mentor. Who were the people that helped you to go forward? I know you mentioned you picked up and moved to Chicago. Did you have like a job lined up when you were heading there? Did you know anyone in Chicago? Why did you pick Chicago? What were the things that you were kind of using as your measuring sticks that you were headed in the right direction or the the milestones that you wanted to specifically achieve per se? Was it living in another city or was it, why was it Chicago specifically or all of those things? I know that was like a million and one questions. <laughs> no, but I, I, I swear I caught them all and I love style of conversation because I'm that way. Well, I'll ask you know, a million and one questions and expect all the answers back. <laughs> <laughs> okay, good. So you get me. Uh, yeah. yeah, I really do. I really do. So, okay, I will start with what something that you said that really clicked for me that I want to make sure I, in telling my story and also just in any conversation I have, I try to be transparent. And on the one side, yes, there was a part of me who was keeping going, right? Who was getting up and I'm going to go to school. You know, I think about it now, 10 years later, I'm like, wow, nine months after your mom died, you moved away to a city where you knew virtually no one and started college. And never at any point did you think to really check in with like, I don't know, a mental health 
professional. Just, you know, yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's exactly the conversation we were having too about mental yeah. as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I, you know, I, I have dealt with, I don't like to say suffered with, but I have moved through depression and anxiety as a chronic condition to con- chronic conditions in my life since I, mm-hmm. as long as I can remember, since being four, five, six years old, having, you know, issues with unworthiness and, and um, self-hate and, and, and harm and all of that. And so mm-hmm. those things were happening in my childhood and then this sort of big trauma with my mom kind of happened. And I don't know what it was. I just kept going. I think I just knew that one, I was young enough to be resilient I had that real sense of like you're 18 19 like just get through this and, and mm-hmm. kind of go back later if you need to and yeah. so I did and I had the women in my life are my mentors and my my guiding posts in a lot of ways and to be honest that extends to women who aren't even technically in my life but whose work is right like mm-hmm. I always joke about um well, not joke about I always reference the women that who have quote you know found me in the dark so mm-hmm. for when I was a child, that was women like Fiona Apple and, and Courtney Love and Calice and just like these written Madonna and, and Pink and just all these like in different artists and stuff, just all these people whose work I admired and who were showing me as like a little girl, this is what you can be when you get to be a woman whenever that comes for you. And you yeah. can, you know, wear what you want and say what you want and do what you want. And I kept finding women like that in my life. You know, I, I met my first boss and first mentor Moshimi Shaw through another mentor uh, Jill Seifert when I first started college, I got there with a very clear mindset of, you know, not just I'm here to learn, but I'm here to build relationships. You know, I yeah. had this idea that there were so many other people in the world who I didn't know. I knew what I came from, right? And I knew mm-hmm. all about that. I knew about the San Fernando Valley and Los Angeles and, and even the entertainment industry and all these things. But I didn't know fashion. I didn't know San Francisco. I knew nothing about tech. Oh, my God. Well, no one did. But, still, mm-hmm. you know, just learning <laughs> learning all of these things and I kept finding different women both in my sort of uh, ahead of me sort of view so women who were in their 30s and their 40s who I could look to and say okay this is what this might look like for you and then I also had women in my life who were my peers you know my friend Courtney who's really my best friend but I call her my sister she really is Mm -hmm. you know other Mm -hmm. young women that I I grew up with who I just went to college with worked with all of this who I was looking to and I always I call it rebel girl syndrome where I just I find the girl the woman that's doing something cool and different and not even cool and different like cool kind of in quotes of like what we sell is cool I think cool is being yourself whatever that is if you're not kind if you're you know I don't like everybody if you like me we can be friends you know Uh (laughs) right yeah, so I'm always finding those women and like really developing relationships with me with them, and they give me strength and they give me um, perseverance and they show me what's possible, even when they don't feel it themselves. And I love when I get to uh, kind of mirror that back to them, you know. And so, always finding those relationships has, has given me a lot of strength, has helped me to keep going and kind of keep finding my future. And then I think definitely the world changing, right? Like watching people make money. It used to be your gossipy chatty friend was just your gossipy chatty friend now mm-hmm. she's an influencer now she's yeah. a social media strategist you know your mm-hmm. friend who was always building stuff and putting things together now she's a producer a set designer 
or, you know, in tech and it's building products every day. Like who knows? And so just watching people suddenly have those opportunities showed me that I could, you know, and, yeah. and of course my, my mentor, Brittany Tillman, who ran our YVR promotions, which is where I really got the idea that I could move into a completely creative career and that I could be a business owner. I resisted it for many years, even up until this year. Like, it's so funny that I really, truly believe that the universe puts you in front of people in situations exactly when you need to be. And if you had, if I met you six months ago, I, one, wouldn't even probably be doing this podcast because I was not in a place where I was really wanting to talk about work or marketing myself at the company or any of that. Mm. Um, and then also I wasn't very clear I, right now. I'm so clear. Like I'm clear on what I want the next 10 years of my life to be, whether they end up there, I can't control. That's, that's God's business. My mm -hmm. business is figuring out, you know, what I want. And I really suck that. Um, and so, okay, wait, 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 wait. So, you know, we got to talk about that before I let you go. And now you, you remember where you stopped at on, on this question answering, but what happened between now and a month ago that helped you to get clear? Um, just this year. Honestly, I really took this year to say, okay, if you're going to do this, if you're going to be an entrepreneur, you know, I'm turning 30 soon and I don't do the whole, like my life is over at 30. I think my life is really just going to start in a lot of places and end mm -hmm. in a lot of others. You know, this is mm -hmm. evolution. But, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm happy to go through the right, you know, for all the reasons I, I just said, I'm like, please God, 70, 80, 90, whatever you can do. I want to, I want to be here, but that's kind of what happened. Just really realizing, you know, everything kind of came together in the last few months to give me a clarity because one, I've been on the road for two years. I was traveling everywhere. Still, I moved back to LA at the end of 2016, but I was still everywhere. Um, mm -hmm. I was traveling at least once a month for at least 10 days. And so I just wasn't really, I think, frankly, I hadn't set my butt down. I hadn't set my ass down. Yeah, and to I, think about it think about it and, and look at what was happening around me. I had a lot of shifts in my career, working with clients and stopping working with them, coming back to them, working with people who I could not necessarily work with healthily and productively, trying yeah. things, you know, just all of it. And in the last couple months, I just have really gotten to it. And I now know that that's what this year was supposed to be. And now I'm kind of anticipating one of these years every few years. And that mm. actually takes me kind of back to the, to the question. So with Chicago, at the end of 2014, I knew that there was a next step. I just wasn't sure what it was. And I was frankly in a bad place emotionally. My first big milestone was college. And I graduated March 2013. And in July of that year, I had a literal nervous breakdown. Like I didn't get out of bed for like multiple days. My best friend at the time had to come over and fully get me out of bed. She like literally bribed me with cheese and got me to get mm -hmm. out of bed and get on the couch. <laughs> mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and, and talk to her. And so we did. And I'll, I'll never forget this. I'll never stop being grateful to her for this. She said, I think it's just really hard because we're so young and so much has happened to us. And she was a person who's been through a lot of things too. And, you know, so much has happened to us. And I think that if we can just keep going, I think everything will be okay by the time we get to be about 30. And Denasia, if it's not, you can make your decisions then. Because I was, frankly, I was suicidal. Um, mm -hmm. And I was like, 
I don't know about it. And I kind of went back to bed. And then I was just kind of thinking about that. And then I said, okay. And I got up and I said, all right, that's the new plan. I, no matter what happens, I'm going to keep going. And if I don't feel great about this, if I feel the same way I feel on this couch right now, eating cheese and crying at 29 years old, which I'm now in three months away from 30, then okay, I'll make my decision then. Mm-hmm. And if you told me in that moment that I would end up here and everything that has happened in between, I would have told you you're absolutely crazy. Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) And what happened was basically I decided to leave San Francisco. I was depressed. A lot of things had happened even from that point in March of 2013 to the end of 2014. And I just knew that it was time to go. And I picked Chicago for the very simple fact that San Francisco and New York were super expensive. I didn't want to go back to LA yet because I always figured, you know, you can always do that. And no one in my family, since we migrated over here on both sides, has left this place. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like it was a thing I could do. And I thought of my mom, right? You know, the first milestone she really wanted for me was college. And I felt like moving to a new city and, and just proving that I could do that and, and still, you know, not having any children. Um, I, I just figured, I figured I would go. And I went to Chicago because it just was affordable. And I felt like it was a place, honestly, I just wanted a bigger apartment. I was living basically in like the living room. Uh-huh. And still, I'm paying way too much money to do that. Yeah. And I moved to Chicago. Literally, I knew nobody. I had met a couple people there. They let me sleep on their couch for a couple weeks. No job prospects. Not even sure I wanted a job. I had a transitional retainer from the marketing and promotions company just to keep doing sales and some other stuff. And that was going to pay my rent and like my cell phone bill and the rest I was going to have to figure out. My grandmother mm-hmm. supported me a lot financially during that time. And I just wanted to start over, but I still had no idea what was going to happen. I think at that point I was like, okay, I'm just freelancing. Like I'm a freelancer mm-hmm. now. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And so I just kind of bopped around between things for the two years I lived in Chicago. I lived in New York for about six months of that time, just making connections, meeting a lot of people, um, getting into like the New York black creative kind of network with Netta Dobbins, one of your other guests. Like there's a really yes. great community over there. Mm-hmm. And Melissa and Campbell also yes. with the black creative. Yes. Literally yeah, hashtag black creatives. Mm-hmm. Hashtag black creatives forever. Oh my God. Melissa Campbell changed my life and she's going to listen to this and probably cry, but she changed my oh. life. Like, I, my whole, whole life, I grew up in the San Fernando Valley surrounded by white people because my mom wanted me to be in good school systems. And she frankly, honestly, wanted me to know white people and wanted me to know something outside of this community in Inglewood and Gardena of what she grew up in. My mom was a crip before I got mm. here. And I don't mean before I got here, like a couple years before, like was a crip, I think pregnant. Like I think mm-hmm. <laughs> just this idea that I could know people who would give me access to other parts of life and opportunities which is very very important to her and so she made a huge sacrifice in living in the valley and frankly so did I like I was really into quote unquote white culture and rock music and and friends and like things like that and sex and mm-hmm. all these things that you know my cousins who growing up in Compton and Inglewood and, and Gardena and all these places are like what the hell are you talking about you know you to make me like talk to like she talks so white we love it you know um, it's so funny and yeah like I moved to Chicago kind of in search of some of that too. I was like, well, this, this city is super black and I should be able to kind of connect with more of that there. And LA mm-hmm. has that, but it's different. And, and being that I was literally taken out of it, like it took me a while yeah. to get back to it when I moved back. And so Chicago just made sense. I found an apartment for $650 a month and it was two bedrooms. What? Shout out to Pilsen. 
And my landlord, yes, girl, it was divine. Like I literally, I'm a big manifester. And I started mm-hmm. tapping into that when I got to Chicago, just the idea that if you think about something and you'd ask the universe to bring it to you, it will show up for better or worse. And mm-hmm. I just was like, I'm going to find this apartment for $650. And this guy had told me about a neighborhood called Pilsen where I could. And I just walked around and I called the phone number and I met with this man. He didn't even check my credit, which is a disaster because I went to art <laughs> school and all the Wow. Look, I lived in Chicago and I didn't know of any $650 two bedroom apartments. And I lived not far from Pilsen in the South Loop. Let me tell you about the God I serve, Lonnie Clinton, okay? <laughs> Look, right. Like, Make an that, introduction. Listen, I'll anybody, anytime. It was it was literally just that. But the reason why I think I found it, why God, why God led me to it and found it for me was that I needed it. Like that place, mm-hmm. that apartment, being alone. And I mean, I had no furniture. I had nothing. There were months I, I couldn't make the rent. I had to catch up. And God bless my landlord. Like, he was a true angel and a saint. Just everything was showing up to support my healing. It was like this message of, all right, you're going to live. And you're going to live. And you're going to inspire people. And it's going to be good. But you got to unpack all of this or start to. It was a journey for the last five years, which I think is also so much of your late 20s, which mm-hmm. is great. And we don't talk about that enough. We don't yeah. tell young people. I tell 20-year-olds all the time, party the first five years of this. Have fun. Travel. Do things. Try things. Mess up. Mess up mm-hmm. badly. Mm-hmm. And then when you get to the second half, put it all together and let it do what it does. You know? And then, like I said, it's not like, oh, you're 30 and you're like this perfect being. No, it's a whole new Right, yeah. It's a journey at any age, realistically. Yeah, it's always yeah. going to be a journey of unpacking right. and picking up, you know, figuring exactly. out what no longer serves you, letting that go and then because what you need when you're 20 is not necessarily what you're going to still need or want when you're 30 and same for when you're 40 so what's what's working for you for one year of your life may not work anymore so it's a constant process of reevaluating. Absolutely. And I think what's interesting about this point is that though is that it's the first time, right? So mm-hmm. when you got to do it later in life, you're like, oh, I know what this is. And hopefully, if you have been blessed to, like me, you have developed tools and processes. And, and my mom used to always talk about that. My mom's so prolific and such a, a seer of the future and really raised me in that space. I truly believe she knew she wasn't going to be here very long. I think mm-hmm. she knew that her soul's purpose was on multiple kind of planes and levels. I think that's why she chose to have me at 18 because I think she thought I feel like she knew in her soul I'm not going to be here for that long and I want certain things in the world and I think if I can put them into this little girl she might take them too and like we might I, I think she came here as a healer and I think she's somewhere else maybe another person in this world who knows maybe quite a few I mean her soul is just really so expansive she touched a lot of people in such a short time of profit of healing and I really mm-hmm. see myself as that too and, that's and she's still here through you absolutely absolutely and I think the more that I, I talk about the things that she kind of instilled into me even more so but that, yeah that was why Chicago it was affordable it was a place to heal and I knew that I could just kind of start over there and I did and I went to New York and, and got into the black creative 
community, worked with Melissa a lot and, and developed my relationship with her and lots of other wonderful people she connected me to and just started to find myself. I started to see myself as beautiful, you know, growing up around people where you're not the standard of beauty. I had no idea that I was an, an attractive woman or, or a beautiful woman. I think I'm gorgeous, you know? Um, yes, I you not, are. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I, I hadn't really seen that in myself. I knew that I was smart and, and articulate, kind of I put that in quotes, you know, young mm-hmm. black girl, I was articulate, you know, whatever that is. And I just wasn't seeing me. I didn't know who is the nation, like what, what am I here for? And I was able to find that in Chicago. And I will always be grateful to Chicago for that. Like I will take my earrings off and put Vaseline on with anybody who they have anything bad to say about <laughs> Chicago. <laughs> Because it gave me so much. But what happened was, living in Chicago, going back and forth between New York, I realized that I wanted to go back to LA because I'm from here. And Issa was starting to really, you know, sort of pop. And, and, and Ava was too. And I just was so enamored and inspired by these black women who were telling black LA stories and mm-hmm. talking about who we are as people in this city. And I'm excited about people who are going deeper and deeper into that and, and telling more of those stories. And, and I wanted to be a part of that. And I wanted my success to be inextricably tied to Los Angeles, California. Mm. Okay. And so when you came back to California, how was that transition and reception? Rough. So I left here at 19, a very different girl than the 26, 27 year old who came back. And it was jarring for all of my family. You know, I'm a person, I'm about the truth. I would rather sit down and have a hard conversation and look somebody in the eye and hold their hands and cry and scream and all of it if we need to do that for whatever mm-hmm. reason. I am, a, I'm read my Brene Brown, right? Like I'm a big student of that, the power of vulnerability and the tough moments. Shonda yeah. Rhimes has a quote, you know, freedom is on the other side of a difficult conversation. I yeah. believe in that. And my family does not. Um, mm. we have Many families do not. Unfortunately. Exactly. Yes. And I got all of that. I did this crazy exercise. Um, I do a lot of healing exercises, a lot of different kind of ways that I'll challenge myself to heal and really confront that. And, and I wrote 17 letters to the people that I love, aunts, uncles, grandparents, best friends, sister, brother, like everybody, um, people who I didn't have strong relationships with and people who I had super strong relationships with where I basically wanted them just to have a full printed documentation of my love for them just in case, right? And then there were people where I had tough things I wanted to say to. And I did all of that 17 times. Some of that, like it was threefold. We had people who, right, who already knew. It just brought us closer. It still continues to, I think, in a lot of ways for us to just really know that love between us. Um, It's gotten us through a lot of tough moments. And then there were the people who couldn't take it at all. You know, to this day, there's at least a handful of people who never acknowledge those letters at all. Um, And then there was a third of people where it fully blew up and and was rough. But I did that because I truly believe that sometimes you got to be strong enough to kind of break your own heart. Mm -hmm. And... And, and I did that in a search for authenticity because I don't want anybody in my life. I can't have anybody in my life 
where I can't have those authentic moments with, whether they're love, whether they're tough. For me, it's communicating with words. I'm a writer, so I'm going to write you a letter. Mm-hmm. If you're a person who would rather sit down and have coffee and talk about it, then call me and let's do that. You got my mm-hmm. letter, so everything I wanted to say to you, you have black and white reference. Let's talk about line by line. Let's do it. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to do that. Not everybody is. And so it was heartbreaking in a lot of ways coming back here because it was like, I am this person. I, you know, value these things. I want to represent these things. And not everybody around me supports that. But the last two years have been this incredible opportunity. The last three years that I've been back have been this incredible opportunity to rebuild that and, and re rechoose my family and yeah and redesign really it rebuild it and and design it the way you want it to be that's serving Absolutely. to you and who you are currently who you have become and who you'd like to be going forward exactly exactly mm-hmm. i love that you're, you. you're like, tell, I, I'm all about everything that you just said. And I've experienced my own personal journeys and struggles with going back home, which is New Orleans for me and recognizing, especially when you've left and gone other places and lived and created a different life of your own design that is not similar to that of what your family has experienced nine out of 10 times. When you come back, you do see them and the dynamics of those relationships a lot differently and things have to then change. And, and a lot of people are resistant to change, whether that just be in the literal sense of, you know, where they live or what they do on a day-to-day basis, but especially in terms of redefining the dynamics of relationships that have have been, you know, sustained for years and now you want to change things up because one person has maybe grown or sees things differently than someone else now. Yes. Whew. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for saying that and, and for sharing that because I I grew up an only child. So I was experiencing and feeling everything in complete isolation in a lot of ways. And sometimes mm-hmm. I feel like a huge portion of my life was just like lived in like just this silo. And I've kind of taken that with me into my adulthood. And so now I'm obsessed with just like connection and sharing stories and realizing that nothing you've ever felt in your life, someone else has not felt. You just Exactly. Exactly. Same here. Absolutely. And I think that also, unfortunately, many people are reluctant to tell their stories or especially when and there's going to be a podcast episode coming out soon enough about this. But um, I find in the dynamics of people of color, there is and, and probably in a lot of other cultures or, you know, non people of color, whatever, there is a a shame or a resistance to saying like, oh, you know, me and my family had this falling out or we don't see eye to eye or we don't speak or I don't relate to them in this way because there is, you know, this um, guilt 
that we may feel for saying something that isn't necessarily warm or to say that, oh, you know, me and this person don't relate and they are my brother or mother or whoever, you know. And so we just don't talk about things that really do matter. And therefore, we just kind of isolate ourselves or just have a little war going on within ourselves because we don't feel that we have the agency to speak up for ourselves in these family dynamics or we don't feel that speaking up for ourselves will be viewed favorably even by others outside of our family because you know there is such a status quo about what the family dynamic should look like Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's funny that you say that because that's actually, that's how, that's kind of part of what led me to my work was uh, examining a lot of those dynamics and not necessarily led me to my work. Because when I came back here, I was producing events at that time, but what really started to make it something that was resonating with my whole spirit and not just like, Oh, I really like this and this is really fun. And, and, you know, I'm trying to build this career. It was realizing that my whole life, those were the best moments when people came together because it's so hard to, do any of that right you know you can be away from somebody and be arguing and fussing and all of that but when it's Christmas when it's Thanksgiving it's somebody's birthday it's an anniversary party it's a you know baby shower whatever it is yeah you just put all of that away and you're just having fun and you're you're just connected in that moment and you're sharing this experience and I think that growing up for me those are always the best moments and so I think that wanting to bring community together and foster community and a lot of ways come from that from that isolation of growing up as an only child and yeah definitely the fragment in not just my family as in my biological family but a lot of the families that I've become a part of in different ways over the years I've always been wanting to just create that like that community and for me now it's about creating wholehearted brave communities as Brene would say where people mm-hmm. can show up fully as themselves even when it's challenging you know yeah. and, and walking that walk has been tricky because we're not we're not trained to do it there's not a lot of uh, tools for doing it but it's also been the most rewarding because mm-hmm. I feel like nobody in my life in, in any of the spaces that I create uh, whether it's an event whether it's a company meeting a, a music video set whatever it's feeling like they have to do that and therefore we're getting the best of everybody all the time and I feel like I'm at my best all of the time mm-hmm. and not all the time but you know yeah. in most moments and yeah that, that part is really good but yeah I think all of these things are true in so many of our communities and our families and our lives. I think it's just about taking the part of that that has sort of broken your heart the most and healing it and and putting it back out to the world as something better in whatever way that looks like for you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And it starts with first acknowledging it. And I think that that's the part that a lot of people don't allow themselves to get to. A lot of us will numb it or drink it away. That uh, salon song, Cranes mm-hmm. in the Sky, drink it away, sex it away, whatever, because to do anything to not acknowledge what it is that has happened to us that hurt our feelings or that has um, negatively potentially impacted us in some way that we are not happy about or that we're ashamed about. And that lack of acknowledgement prohibits us from getting to the power in that experience. Um, Definitely 
something that I'm a true believer and advocate for. So anybody listening, you know, start getting to the take. And it starts with what you said, like having to take those moments to actually sit your butt down and put Mm -hmm. yourself in a situation to really think about what that is and to really face, face it and look look yourself in the mirror. Yeah. With all of that said, what would you say have been the three character traits that have served you well in getting to where you are? Um, ooh, honestly, being good with words is probably number one, like being a good communicator. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was one of the first things I started talking. I think I was at least one. I just was, I had a lot to say from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I couldn't say it out loud, I was always able to put pen to paper from the moment I could hold a pen up. My mom used to, my mom was an educator for a portion of her life when I was younger. And mm-hmm. over the summer I had homework, you know, and one of those things was to pick 10 words out of the dictionary. She'd be, you know, we'd be eating breakfast. She'd go to me, pick your letter for the day. I'd say that. And I would open the dictionary and pick 10 words that started with S. I would write down the word. I would write down the definition of the word and I would have to write the word 10 times. And Mm -hmm. that is why I, part of why I'm a good writer, part of why my vocabulary is so deep and why Mm -hmm. I can spell really well. To this day, I don't have autocorrect on my phone because I'm obsessed with being like, I have to learn, I have to know how to spell this word. I don't want to just, I don't want the computer to know. I want to know how to spell it. So being good with words, being a good communicator, um, I would say my kind of obsession with research and knowledge I read a lot I listen to a lot of like I'm taking in more information I think than most people in a day I think a lot of people get stuff thrown at them I actively seek out information and what's been interesting over the last couple years is honing that like I'm now very careful about that seeking right like I'm I've opened up the window to politics a little bit more because 2020 is so important and I want to be tapped into what's going on and helping in any way that I can and just knowing what's happening but other than that, it's music, it's uh, what's happening in television and entertainment, and a lot of it is what's happening in business. And I think being so tuned in to multiple things and just always wanting to know about stuff, again, that Aquariusness, just always want to know about it. Even if I don't understand it, I don't like it, I want to know. You know, and I want to have a base knowledge of it. My friend Bosco always says that, like, major kind of knows a little bit about everything. And I'm by no means an expert, but that's helped me to connect with a lot of different people and to move through industries. You know, I started with fashion because I wanted to know about fashion. I learned that. Moved into marketing, know about marketing, you know, moved into music, moved into promotion, like just all these different things, mostly because I wanted to know. And it's all kind of been a part of the same general bucket, but there's still a lot to know in those buckets. So I think communication, seeking out knowledge, and then honestly being very driven I'm a person who will say I want to do something and I'm probably going to do it and if I didn't do it it's either because I decided not to God decided I was not going to or something better came along other than that I'm probably going to do it you know I said I wanted to move to Chicago everybody looked at me crazy like that's not going to happen I moved I said I was going to graduate college I mean to be honest after my mom passed away, my family was very much like, what's going to happen to her? You know, like, I don't know how this is going to go. Like, I'm actually the only person in my family who's lost their mother at a sort of untimely point. Like, my great-grandmother just passed away at 89. My grandmother's 72. You know, so I'm the only person. My my grandfather's uh, mother just passed away a few years ago. He's also 72. So I, most people in my family have had their mothers to depend on, even just for that basic guidance of just knowing your mother's there, yeah. well into their life. 
So no one had seen what 18, no mother, no father, really, like looking out for you, watching over you. What does that look like? My grandparents have been there, but they're still grandparents. There's really only so much they could do, know, be involved in. There's that huge generation gap. I always talk about my 20s where I called my grandmother and she's like, you know, when I was 20, I was pregnant with your mom and your uncle was, I think, three and your grandfather was fighting in Vietnam and I was managing an apartment building. And it was like 11 a.m. on my 20th birthday. I was like, I'm drinking white Russian in San Francisco in like my dorm. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> and so just, I, that was like one of those moments where I was like, wow, you're really on your own out here. And mm-hmm. that determination to keep going, to achieve things, to, and not for anybody else, because I want it to just like that has helped me so much in life. I don't really look at things and see obstacles. I always just think if I really want something, I can do it. I don't, it might not be in the time frame, might not be exactly how I thought, but there are not many things I can think of in my life that I truly wanted that didn't end up happening. And I've realized recently that that's not something everybody has. And so I think in being a strategist and being a producer and being a writer, it's really all of those things coming together because obviously the writer communication, um, you know, being good with words, so much of that is event production. It's, it's managing expectations from your client, communicating with your attendees, making sure that they're in tune and engaged, working with your team. You know, I am now in a place where I'm working on much bigger projects than when I started and I cannot do everything. Like right now we have an event next Friday in Kansas city. We have something two weeks from three weeks from now in Tulsa and I'm shooting a music video on Sunday. So Mm. I have three different. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. I listen, it's actually it's a really proud moment. And but it's cool though. I'm able to be sitting here having this conversation with you because Sydney from my team is working on production stuff for Tulsa and Malaysia from my team is working on marketing and, and comm stuff for Kansas City and Megan, the creative director for the video, is is pulling stuff from ASOS and wherever else, you know, and you know, doing all these things. And so because of that, I'm able to sit with you and, and have this amazing conversation. So moving into that place is really and I think so much of that comes from really knowing how to communicate with people and get to what they want and what they need and, and creating life around that in whatever way I can. And then that strategy, you know, when you know you're going to get something done, the only questions are how. And I've yeah. now learned to step back and let those answers come to me rather than trying to answer. Like the only question is the how. The answer comes from the universe and usually from other people and help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And on that note, before I let you go, I have my last five questions that I ask everyone that comes on the show. The first one, what is your favorite act of (laughs) self-care? Um, honestly, my morning routine, I get up every day and I journal, I write out like a repetitive affirmation. It's whatever the big goal is right now for the company, usually sometimes for me, but I always write three things I'm grateful for. I write three intentions for the day and I write three things, people, situations to pray for. Mm -hmm. Um, I do that every morning and that's my most important self-care practice. It really keeps me grounded. It's fantastic. Oh, oh, and uh, yeah, then I, I meditate and I pray. So those three mm-hmm. things in tandem. I love it. I'm going to have to, I've been saying I need to get a, a morning routine 
for forever and I haven't been consistent about it, but I know I need to and you're reminding me of that. Um, it's a game changer, Lonnie. <laughs> yes, and so many people say that. And so I, I need to start listening and heeding that so that I can change the game. Uh, what's something you wish you were better at? Uh, honestly, I wish I was better at design. I, oh, as a person who went to art school, like I went to school for fashion marketing and management, and those are my things. Design was never my AutoCAD or not my InDesign teacher literally was like, I am passing you so that I don't have to see you again because I cannot do this ever again. And I was like, <laughs> I was like offended, but also like, thank you for this grade, sir, because I don't want to see you either. Um, <laughs> so that, like if I could do design well, it would be over for you people. Like honestly, but it's okay. I work, I work with a lot of really talented designers and I'm always looking for more. So if you're listening to this podcast and you are good at design, hit me up, please. <laughs> what is your definition of success? Ooh. Ooh, these are good questions. I'm going to ask these on first dates if I ever go on one of those again. Um, <laughs> um, okay. Um, my definition of success, honestly, is freedom. It really is. I think that success is freedom. That is really what I see success as. And financial freedom, yes, but in this world that is so deeply inequitable, unequitable, whatever, I don't know that that's possible for that many people. So I don't know that that's the best metric of success, just finances. But I think mm -hmm. success is freedom over your life, getting to have choices, whether you mm -hmm. happenstance into them because you're born into a life with privilege and choices, which is, is wonderful if that's your life, or mm -hmm. you seek out a life that involves that and includes that. And honestly, there's usually a lot of sacrifices to be made for that, but that's success for me. When somebody says, I get up every day and I live the life I want to live and I don't do anything else. And not to say you won't have to do things that are unpleasant or not fun sometimes, but just yeah. the overall life is free and, and you feel like it's going well and it's got you tomorrow, you're good with this. You know, mm -hmm. that's success to me. Yeah. I agree 100%. I've told someone recently, I want to have the freedom to turn down work and paid opportunities, mm -hmm. you know, if the freedom to turn things down, that I don't have to take whatever is offered, you know? Can I say, you can get to that before you feel like you are ready to, because that's been a big thing for me this year. And let me tell you, it's been hard. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, you will have financially tough years. That's, that's what it's all about. That's why you usually, you know, corporations have huge team of finance teams of finance people to make sure that those years are survivable, you know, yeah. um, and what, and what that looks like, but you can get to that sooner because honestly, right now we're in a time where it's just there's too many opportunities and too many people who can fill various roles and, and have their own purposes outside of those kind of roles that you may be aware of, right? The kind of Adam moments where you're like, I don't think this is a thing yet. Like there's mm -hmm. so much of that that mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of power in turning things down. If you, if you get something and you really just don't feel like you really want to do it, if it's your rate, you know, like for me, it's like, you know, if you come to me and, and you want me to do an event and you're like, I'm going to pay your company what you charge and, and we'll do this. And I know it's not something you're crazy passionate about, but this is what we want. And as long as we get this, we're fine. Then mm -hmm. that's different. But mm -hmm. like there's certain things I just won't do no matter what. 
And I think there's a lot of power in that. And I think it's important in terms of the universal flow of opportunity that you only take the things you're excited about so that those things come to you more and so that you're putting opportunity back out there. If you really don't want to do something and you're in a position where you really can turn it down and that like, you know, your rent isn't going to not be paid Mm -hmm. or something terrible. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, see, I, and so, that's the little caveat: being in the position where right. you don't need, you know, you have the freedom to turn it down because you have so many opportunities coming at you too that are in alignment, that are paying the fee, that are this, that are that, that you can have take your pick at what you want to do and how you want to spend your day, your time, your energy, and all of those things. So back back to the freedom part. Yeah. Definitely. What's a quote or piece of advice that you live by? You know what? Honestly, I have to say definitely the the Brene Brown, like daring greatly quote. I don't know the full quote of it, but just the the idea of from Theodore Roosevelt, like the the idea that the person in the arena and, and who's putting themselves out there and putting themselves out there, their work, whatever that is, is who the credit goes to, not the critic, right? Like mm-hmm. don't be the person who's poking holes in people's dreams and ideas because first of all, Fuck that guy. Uh (laughs) Right. (laughs) That person gets no credit. There's no credit somewhere for a jerk in the back of the house heckling people. The credit is to the comedian, even if they bombed, right? Because they got on stage and they did it. What are you doing, person in the back of the club making jokes? Like nobody's (laughs) giving you credit for that. Nobody's clapping for that. And so that quote, and then also Glennon Doyle and the idea of serving the God of the bathroom floor. Just this idea of don't look for God in the places where it's shiny and pretty and you got your Sunday church hat on or, or you know, in the moments where you look good and feel good and life is going well. God mm-hmm. lives, you and your spirit and your resilience and your truth live in those moments when you're on the bathroom floor and you're crying and you're like, what the hell is going to happen in my life? Mm-hmm. That is where yourself is formed so many times and those moments just will come and you got to embrace them and really use them as fuel and, and ask them, okay, I'm on this bathroom floor. What do I have to learn here? And I should probably sit here and feel everything and know everything until I'm ready to get up. And I'll know that I'm getting up stronger and moving forward. So like those two ideas of putting yourself out there. And then when you get your ass kicked, learn from it and find God in those moments and and keep going in ways that are healthy and positive, not that are stifling and numbing and just keeping going. I love that. And last, but certainly not least, what do you want to be remembered for? I want to be remembered for creating communities and creating experiences for those communities that were truly phenomenal. I'm starting a festival next year that I really want to build my legacy on and have be something that's here 20 years from now, like a Coachella, like a Lollapalooza for sure. Mm-hmm. And then um, on the other side of it with like my other kind of interests and careers as a storyteller, I definitely want to produce television at a large scale one day. Um, I want to be a best-selling author. Like I want people to say, Nasia was here and she brought us closer to ourselves and she brought us closer to each other and we had a lot of fun. Awesome. And you are well on your way, my dear. I I definitely see that in your future. 
And now after listening to this podcast, people want to get in touch with you. How do they have you to strategize and produce their event? How do they attend an event? How do they connect with you? So I now Instagram is really the place I would follow at GWTLP. And we have a link in our bio that has a link to our newsletter. We have a newsletter and a playlist that we do on Spotify every week. It comes out on Tuesday. It's called Notification. Follow those things to keep up with us, like keeping up with me in the newsletter, following the Instagram page, and then my personal page is on that as well. So Instagram, email newsletter, and follow us on Spotify, please. I'm launching a radio show out of that playlist, so I want y'all to tune in. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Lonnie Swain Show podcast. Please visit my website, LonnieSwain.com, where you can sign up for my monthly newsletter, check out companion blog posts, show notes, and lots of other cool stuff. This podcast is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play Music, Buzzsprout, CastBox, Anchor, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and my website. I love and appreciate all of your feedback, so don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and share it with at least three people who you think would enjoy it too or benefit from the information. Until next time, go where you are celebrated and appreciated, not just tolerated. Talk to you soon.